So several weeks ago I promised a sermon. We'll see if I deliver today. I hope, I hope, I hope this will be a help to you. Um, So when we think about the doctrine of election, predestination, and how it levels us out for evangelism, um, one of the pressing questions that happens, not the only, but one of them is, when we hear this, um, we begin to wonder if we're one of the elect or not. Um, am, I, am I chosen? Was I elect before the foundation of the world? Did God choose me and appoint me into eternal life, or did he not? That's an understandable question. Um, and Scripture does deal with it to some extent, um, but as is often the case, not in the way we generally want God to deal with our questions. Uh, because we, we want to know what ends up actually being just his secret counsel, the things that belong to him. We want to know what the book of life contains and if our name is written in it. We want to know that, for sure. We want to have God come down with an angel, open it up and say, right there, Joseph Aaron Help, born September 5th, 1983, 105 degree weather, after being in, in labor for 18 hours in an unair-conditioned hospital and had to be taken C-section because the cord was wrapped around his neck and then his lungs are going to like have problems. He's going to have double pneumonia a week later and almost die. He's, he's in there. Like he could just, he could just keep reading and he'd be like, no, that's for sure me. Because what we, what we would do is even if we saw our name, we'd be like, well, there's another Joseph Aaron Helt somewhere and it's probably that guy. Well, there's probably another Joseph Aaron Helt born on September 5th, 19... We would want to know down to the very second that we were living in if that was really us because we just wouldn't believe it. We just wouldn't trust it. So even though that's what we think we want, we want to know for sure if our name is in the book, absolutely in Christ's blood, even if it was right in front of us, we would want to be doubly sure and to make sure that surety had a surety behind it because we, as much as we say we are, We actually don't believe much of what we see. Um, So even if that were to happen, if God were to bring down his holy book written before the foundation of the world that contains all the souls that are his, it wouldn't help us. It wouldn't help us. So instead, what I'm going to try and do is give us a very broad picture of the thing that God does do for us to make our calling and election sure. Okay? And that is, he gives us this doctrine, this doctrine of predestination, this doctrine of election, for our joy. For our joy. And if we would let it be for our joy, if we would let go of some of the things that we don't understand, and instead cling to the things he has revealed, it will actually be a very big help to us. So, the first, the first letter of John, John 1, starting in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. 
that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And our, indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. There's lots of places we could go to talk about this answer, but this is where I thought was good. And uh, hopefully it will be helpful. Let's pray for God's help. God, we pray that this would be helpful to us. Um, We pray that it would be helpful from your word, from you to us this morning. We pray this in the name of your son. Amen. It seems like a weird answer. Uh, I will admit it's not exactly what I would go to first uh, to answer this question. And it took me several weeks to decide how to go about answering this question of, you know, am I elect? Am I in the book? Am I going to be one of the ones? Um, so I, I thought about this verse a lot. And this week, um, on Wednesday, you know, as I'm doing sermon prep, uh, I see if I look in my uh, computer program to see if I have anybody else's sermon about this topic, which is a normal thing that I do every week. I type in the scripture I'm going to be preaching on, and I look to see if anybody else that I have a collection of has ever talked about this passage, and what do they say? Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, has preached, preached two sermons on this text. And the first one I read, he immediately, within like, I don't know, couple minutes of the sermon if he were preaching it was like and here is one of the things God has given to us for our joy God's electing grace to save sinners I was like I think I hit it I think I got it Charles Spurgeon agrees with me that this text is really about the election of God and how we should have joy in it I'm I'm in good company so here we are a week later five days later I'm pretty confident that this will be helpful not because I'm very good at preaching, but because I think God's word is it's just full of help. So one of the things that I thought of a lot in prepping this, and again, Charles Spurgeon just hit on it right away, and I could quote him at length, but basically this. God talks a lot, a lot, and commands us a lot to have joy. It's just all the time, everywhere. Be happy. Why, why does he spend so much time doing that? Well, two reasons, I think. One is God actually wants us to be happy. He actually wants us to be joyful. He does not want us to be sourpusses. He doesn't want us to be glum. He doesn't want us to be introspective to the point that we're just demoralized. And one of the things that we tend to do with any good thing is to just take it in and get funky with it. We do this with all kinds of stuff. Each one of us has our pet thing that we do this with. So for me, it's food, right? What do I do with food? I love it so much that I eat it when I'm sad. That's not good, right? I've taken something that is good, food, delicious tasting food of many stripes, and I've made it uh, a sinful thing. I've taken something good and made it not good. And you can do that with anything. Anything. Whatever your thing is that you like, that you tend to suck into you, that you spit out the other way and it's not good, 
That's what we do all the time with all kinds of stuff. And it's what we do all the time with God's word. And so instead, God just repeatedly tells us, my children, be happy. Take joy in what I have given to you. It's for you. It's for your good. It's for you. And the other thing that I think is a secondary comfort is the reason he has to tell us innumerable times in Scripture to take joy, to be delighted, to be happy, is because every person since the beginning has been really bad at being happy and joyful and glad about the things God has done and said. You're in good company. All the people who have ever lived have had difficulty believing God's words are good and delightful and for them. Everybody has always struggled with this. Adam's and Eve's first sin, right? Eating the forbidden fruit. The temptation from the tempter was, you won't really die. And look, it is awfully tasty. Why don't you go ahead and eat some? And so they believed what they thought would be good, even though God had said, this will actually make you happy. Not eating that tree. That's what will actually make you glad. Adam and Eve didn't believe that. They ate the tree, and it made them sad because they got thrown from the garden, and animals had to die for them to be covered, and they were ashamed because they were naked. All these things. On and on, through it all, here's what will make you happy. Getting in the ark. Oh no, oh no, I am quite contented outside the ark. This is what makes me happy. In the end, none of them were very happy, right? They all died. That's not happy. That's not glad. And if they would have just listened to God, who said, hey, here's the thing, believe it, I'm going to flood the earth, they would have been happy. They would have been glad. And again, you can just walk down through whatever it is that happens and God's people over and over, despite the fact that God repeatedly tells them, be happy, be glad. I have told you these things for your good. We don't believe them. We don't act like it. And yet this is the thing. This is always the thing that keeps us happy, keeps us glad. And it's really the solution to the problem of, am I elect? Am I one of God's people? When uh, Peter says, make your calling and election sure, that passage, which is Second Peter chapter 1, he says it like this. Excuse me. God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Okay, so here's the thing. Precious, very great promises, gladness, happiness, joy. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, so because God has promised these things and taken you from the corrupt world, Because of that, because God has done these things. 
For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. And so, Peter's response is, here are the promises of God, that he has called you, that he's brought you out of sinfulness, and given you into the kingdom of heaven, right? This electing power of God that brought you up out of the depths of the ocean. Because of that, be godly. Pursue godliness in these various forms, right? Self-control and love and add to these things faith and virtue and all of this sort of thing. Basically, act like you're part of the kingdom. Be part of the kingdom. Do the things that belong to those who are called by God. So do these things. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's an unsatisfying answer. The answer that Peter basically gives is, if you believe the promises, and you think you have inherited eternal life, act like a Christian. And then by acting like a Christian, because you believe the promises you will ensure that you make it to the end and inherit eternal life. And by doing that, you will secure your election. It's all this stop staring at the election and just do the work that God has given to you to do. You can think of it sort of like this. Some of you were like this. I was not like this, but some of you were like this. You're in high school. Graduation's four years away, and it's three years away, and it's two years away, and it's one year away, and you basically are getting A's and B's. And some of you, every class you took, it was like, I'm going to flunk this class, and I'm never going to graduate, and I'm never going to go to college, and then I'm never going to have a life, and then everything's going to fail. And every class was like this impediment to happiness. You just, here's the class, I have to pass it. If I don't pass it, I'm never going to graduate. If I don't graduate, I'm never going to... And he just focused, hyper-focused on this class. When the reality was, you've been doing fine. You've been doing the things you're supposed to do. You're going to graduate. Right? So that's what you tell a kid who's just like, (laughs) listen, you're passing classes. You're doing the work. You're going to graduate. You might not get a perfect grade in this class, but you will graduate. Focused, hyper-focused, and that's what we do with election. The graduation is when we die and get to be with God forever. And God says, just keep doing the work. Persevere. I'm with you. You'll make it. Don't worry. I've got you. You're my child. I'm your shepherd. I'm going to get you to the end. Right? And instead, what we do is we're like, oh, but what if I'm not elect? What if I, what if, what if, what if, what if? And we just... And God just goes, get out of it. Just pull back a second. The promise is, you will get there. And all I'm calling you to do is just walk the path that's in front of you. 
And by walking that path, by adding godliness and virtue and faith and love, by just going the way that I have told you to go, believing the things that, you have, that I have promised are true, trusting that I have actually done these things, that Christ's blood is actually sufficient for you. By doing that, going on that path, you will graduate. You will graduate. Trust the process. Don't hyper-focus in on the thing that you think is going to wreck it. You will, you will just spend months, years, whatever, however much time you... <laughs> you'll just waste that amount of time. Instead, God says, I have promised. I'm true. Trust me. Here's what you do. Make your calling and election sure. Add virtue to godliness. Add self-control to it. Brotherly affection. Love, just come on down the path. I will guide you. You'll walk through the valley of shadow of death. If you peer over the edge, you'll lose your mind. I'm with you in the valley of death. You won't fall off the edge. You're not on an impossible balance beam. You're in a valley. You'll make it. I'm here. I am your shepherd. I'm going to get you to the good water. That is God's help to us. And it's such a joy because it takes all the pressure off of making sure we're in this book, this impossible knowledge that we can never attain. We're never going to have access to open the book and go, oh, okay. Even if we had it, it would only last for a second. And then we would doubt whether or not we read the right page or not. God has given us something more sure than getting to see into some book that exists in heaven. He has given us his son and the promise that if we believe that God has cleansed us from sin, that he actually has. That if we believe that he has actually qualified us for heaven, that he actually does. Here's a couple more ways to think about this. John chapter 15. So John wrote the book of 1 John. He wrote the gospel of John. This is John 15. Jesus is talking the night he was betrayed. He's got his 12 disciples with him. I can't remember actually if Judas has left at this point or not. There are 11 or 12 of them sitting around the table eating food. And, and Jesus is delivering the final words to his apostles before he's betrayed and killed. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And so here's the thing, and what, what can happen is now we, we know about this abiding, and we know if we don't abide, we're going to be cast, and if we do abide, we're going to live. And 
We can just hyper-focus in on, am I abiding? Am I abiding? Am I abiding? Am I abiding? What if I don't abide? What if I'm not going to abide? What if I never was going to abide? What if we can just go down this rabbit hole? We can just lose it. But here's, here's the thing. Jesus doesn't give us like this super complex system to work out whether or not we're abiding. He doesn't say, all right, here are the 52 things you have to check off to see if you're abiding. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Do the things God has told you to do. That's abiding. It's not rocket science. It's not like, okay, is it some hyper-spiritual thing, abiding? Do I have to, like, you know, get way up into the mind of God somehow and, like, become part of the ether of God's spirit somehow? Is it, like, super up there, heady, spiritual stuff? No, God, Jesus just says, listen, here's what, here's what abiding is. It's just doing what my Father's told you to do. And if you do those things, my joy will be in you. You will have joy. And so what we tend to do is we get super hyper-focused on whether or not we're one of the branches, and we don't do anything. That's not good. And so God tells us, just do the things. Just like Peter says, right? If you're calling election, you want to make sure it's sure? Just walk the way God has called you to walk. Just follow him. He did this, you do that. He didn't do that, don't do that. Okay? And that doesn't mean you won't sin. Here's the second part of this. In 1 John, right after he says, you know, my joy is going to be complete in you. There's some familiar verses. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. In him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Well, I thought if we were in the light, we wouldn't have sin because we're walking like Jesus. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And when God calls us and Jesus calls us to abide, do the things... Follow the commandments. Walk in the way. Peter says, you know, add virtue and godliness and self-control and brotherly affection and love. Walk this way. He doesn't mean perfectly. He doesn't mean without stumbling. He just says, walk that way. And that's the good news that we have the promise of God being our shepherd to lead us and guide us. We don't have a God who just leaves us on our own to walk this precarious, abiding road and just go, good luck. If you make it, you know, I'll be at the end. We have a God who is right there going, okay, ab- abide. Ab- abide. K- k- okay, abide. Confess the sin. Yeah, you, yeah, you definitely. That was bad. That was, that was really bad. David, David, your sin with Bathsheba? The murder of Uriah, real bad. 
Come back to the path. Get, get, get over there. Keep. He's with us the whole way. Sin, obedience, the whole way. The promise is not just if you make it to the end, you're one of the elect. The promise is, do you believe? Okay, walk. I'm with you. I'll keep you. You'll be there. And how sure is the promise? How sure is the promise of God's electing grace? What is the joy that belongs to us from eternity past? This is John 6.37. All, every single one, total, every single one, all that the Father gives me, this is Jesus talking, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. All the Father gives to me are coming to me. And whoever gets there, because the Father called them and then they got to me, they're never going to get out. They're never going to fall off the path. They will make it to the end. And we can, again, we can get lost in the weeds on these things. And we can, we can spend all of our time trying to figure out, well, okay, then what if God didn't call me? What if the Father didn't call me? And I'm not supposed to make it to the end and Jesus is going to cast me out. Don't get lost in the weeds. He has given us a promise. He's given us a steadfast anchor for our soul. This is what we have to rest on. And he's given it to us for our joy. And the way we make our joy sure is just by doing the things he has called us to do. Confessing the sins when they come and walking as best we can. So, an example of this sort of thing. We hate rules as a general rule. <laughs> we don't like them. We think they're bad for us. Right? We don't like masks. We don't like vaccines. We don't like speed limits. We don't like being told to pay a registration fee for our license plate. We don't like any of it. And granted, some of those things, frivolous laws. There are frivolous laws in the world, right? Because we're men, we make stuff up. Some of them are completely pointless. But good laws, every good law, every good law made by man is for our joy. Think about this, all right? Mill Street, where we live. I'm not going to take a poll, but very few of you have probably ever driven down Mill Street at the posted speed limit. It's 25 miles per hour. At a minimum, everyone drives 30. And many people drive significantly faster than 30. Right? <laughs> no names, please. But why is that rule there? Why is that law there? Is it to squelch your fun? To make the guy with the big pipes feel bad because he can't blare his big pipes, at, you know, stomp it. Is it to just take all the joy out of life to have a 25 mile an hour speed limit? Well, we think so. But that law is there because it's a residential neighborhood with no sidewalks. And kids live on that road. My kids, for one. And kids are sometimes not the greatest at following their own laws, their own rules, which are don't go out into the road because the ball went out in the road or whatever happened. I'm going to cross the street now. Whatever, whatever the thing is, and they run out into the road. So you're going 40 miles an hour, 
and a kid darts in front of you, you're going to kill that kid. They're going to die. That will be an awful day for you. It will be a horrible day. It will be a day devoid of joy. But if you're going 25, more than likely you're going to be able to hit your brakes and not kill that kid. And what will that day be like? An almost tragedy, and you are bursting with joy, crying tears of joy probably that you didn't just run over a kid. Your happiness will be unbounded, but it won't be this normal sort of joy. It won't be a, a, a just pure, you know, I got a birthday cake kind of joy. It will be this intangible happiness that something really bad was a hair's breadth away, and then it didn't happen. And that law, that 25-mile-an-hour speed limit, is there for our joy. It's a good law. It's a good rule. Now, man can make rules and laws that aren't for our joy, aren't for our good. Now, we live in a land where most of the laws are actually good. Now, you can find, I know you can find all the examples that aren't, but imagine we are in a land much different than this, in China or Afghanistan or Iran, where very few of the laws are for your joy. We live in a land that is very much for our joy. But we still have problems. We still have laws not good. God's laws are all for your good, for your happiness, for your joy. He doesn't ever tell you to do something that is actually not for you and your joy. He never says, listen, it's a 25 mile hour speed limit on a four-lane highway with no stoplights. I just want you to be miserable. I want you to just take forever to get where you're going and just to be unhappy the whole time. God never makes laws like that. He never does. And here's the thing about God's laws. If we walk in them, like Peter calls us to, like Jesus calls us to, obey my Father's commandments, you will be happy. Your joy will be full. Peter, you will make your calling and election sure. First John, I'm writing these things to you for your joy. And if you read the book of First John, it's just a total reiteration of this point. Walk like Jesus, you'll be happy. Don't walk like Jesus, you'll be miserable. Walk like Jesus, you'll prove to be one of his. Don't walk like Jesus, you'll prove to not be. And so we can, we can spend an eternity spinning our wheels, trying to find happiness in determining whether or not our name is written in a book. Or, or we can trust God and his promises. And this is what he has promised. If we believe in him, we will inherit eternal life. If we believe in him, we will never be cast out. If we believe in him, it is because he has called us to himself. If we believe in him, it is because he elected us to eternal life before the foundation of the world. His laws are for our good and our happiness and our joy. And when we are in him, in him, it will never fail to produce joy if we abide in Christ by keeping his commandments. And that's really the answer to this question. We can spend an eternity trying to figure out in the moment whether or not we are elect. God has not given that answer to us in a profound book-on-the-table way. 
He has given it to us in a much more simple way. And the question in the, in the, of the way is, do you delight in the things God has called you to do? Do they make you happy? If they make you happy, if there's joy in doing what God has called you to do, in walking in his way, in keeping his commands, you're his. You will make it to the end. You will stumble, you will sin, you will fall, he will guide you. But you will make it. If, however, the laws of God taste bad, if you spit them out like you spit out the laws that you have found to be bad in our state, county, whatever, the one where you go, that's garbage, and you have petitioned the city to lift the thing, and you've written to the state and said, stop it. If the laws of God taste like that to you, repent. The kingdom is not yours. If, however, you think you have tasted a little bit of the joy of God in Christ, and then he says, walk this way, and you're like, I believe that you have said that for my joy. I can't see it. It doesn't seem like that's going to end with my joy. Walk that way anyway. Think of it about my last sermon, right? Blessed are those who are this and that and the other. Poor in spirit, mourning, gentle, peacemaking, persecuted, derided. Blessed, that's another name for joyful, happy, blessed by God, given a gift of joy from God. Blessed are you, blessed are you. Sorrow for sin, right? Blessed are those who mourn. Sorrow for sin... This is Charles Spurgeon now. Is a sweet sorrow. Okay? It's a joyful sorrow because here's what happens if you're a Christian and you find yourself sinning. And by find yourself, I mean you are sinning. God brings it to your mind and you now are sorrowful over your sin. Well, here's the great joy that comes to you. The commandment of God when you sin is. Go to Christ. Go to, go to Christ. You'll be forgiven. Confess your sin. It will be cleansed. You don't have to bear that until you're dead. You have to bear that to the cross, and then it's done. That is joyful. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall see God. That's us. So every, every step along the way is a call is a call to make your calling and election sure by walking in the way God has. Ordained? Yes. Absolutely. Called you to? Yes. Absolutely. There's a hymn that I didn't think of. It's, you know, how it is. I already changed one hymn in the middle of the week. Thank you, Sarah. Um, Trust and obey, right? Trust and obey, for there's no other way. To be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Trust, believing what God has said is true. If God has said, and he has, you go to Christ, you will inherit the earth. He has said that. You go to Christ, you will be forgiven. He has said that. You go to Christ, you will have eternity with God. He has said that. Trust him and obey. You do those two things, you trust, you obey, 
No amount of digging into whether you're elect or not is going to fix the problem. But God has given to you happiness in Jesus, joy in Christ. That is much better, much, much better than finding the page that your name is written on in the Lamb's Book of Life. And how do I know it's better? Why can I say that? Because I've never seen the Lamb's Book of Life. How do I know that the joy that he's given to us now is better? Because he's given it to us. He could have said, this is where your joy will be. I'm going to take everybody up at some point in time. I'm going to take them up into my heaven. I'm going to open up the book. I'm going to show them the page. And he could have said, that's how your joy is going to be made full. But he didn't say that. He said, this is how your joy is going to be made full. Like this. And God is good. His ways are always good, and his ways are always for us and our good and our happiness, which means this is the best way. This is the best way to be happy in Christ, to make your calling and election sure. It's not by getting to see the page. It's by walking in the way, confessing your sins, obeying the commandments, trusting his promises, making it to the end. And in the middle, when you get stuck on whatever it is you get stuck on, whether it's me or someone else, lift your head up and go, look at the end that God has given to you. You're already two-thirds of the way through high school. You've passed all the classes before. There's a whole bunch of classes to take. You know how to go. He has given you the plan. Go to the end. It's there. The diploma's waiting. Signed, sealed, delivered. Just go get it. Just walk up, just take the class, pass the class, take the class, pass the class. You will make it. The reason you will make it is not because you're an excellent student, but because God has promised you will make it, because he has predestined that you will make it, because he has elected you before the foundation of the world. You have a sure promise. Walk to the end with it. Walk to the end with it. I hope that has been helpful. I still see a lot of confusion on a lot of faces. So maybe it wasn't as helpful as I was hoping. So, come at me after the sermon. We'll talk. Not everybody at once. Well, maybe everybody at once. But let's, uh, let's bow and... Oh, wait, we've got to do communion. Boy, I'm out of it this morning. <laughs>